0: Good morning. morning. It's good to be with you today. We're glad that you were able to join us as we continue our study at looking at the life of Christ as told to us in the gospel according to John, one of Jesus' disciples, closest friends on earth, possibly a cousin. If you follow us through some of the genealogies there, Uh, but a great study in God's Word. If you'll join me, we're going to be looking at John chapter 14 this morning. John chapter 14, very famous verses come out of this chapter and we're going to read the entire chapter together. Now, I don't even pretend that we will cover everything in the chapter, but I think for the context, it would be helpful if we've read it all to kind of get a grasp on where our Savior is going in His words as we spend time this morning in John 14. Now, for those of you who have been with us know what is happening in this portion of the gospel of john right it's very interesting to note what god does and does not include in the scriptures right there are civilizations that have existed for thousands of years that are not even mentioned in the bible by name and so people wonder well why doesn't it talk about this people group or that people group well god is highlighting not all of history for us He's highlighting his interactions with mankind from the beginning into his plan for us into eternity. And so he begins to zero in on the people group through which he said his savior would come to save all mankind. And so after just a brief 11 chapters, seeing the world begin to populate with people, God begins to zero in on one nation's history. Not because they're more important than anybody else, but this is the history of the nation through which salvation would come to mankind. And this is very important. And so not that the other people groups are not important, but now as we come into the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have four full books recounting for us how he lived his life amongst mankind. And then in, for example, the Gospel of John, 21 chapters for the life of Christ. But starting in chapter 13, we have... Just the last 48 hours of his life until his crucifixion. I guess you could say the last week is the rest of the book from chapter 13 through 21 where he, he went uh, uh, privately aside with his disciples for part of the time publicly amongst the, the people in the temple. And then he was arrested and crucified and then rose from the dead. And that week is just packed with so much. And so you can see how important this week is in the life of Christ by the the emphasis that is placed on that one section of his life alone in the Gospels. And here we see in the Gospel of John a long time spent on his private meeting with his disciples. And that's where we find him in this chapter, right? They just had dinner together in chapter 13. And after dinner, the Lord arose and washed the disciples' feet. And he was displaying for them an example of how they ought to serve one another. And uh, if you want to talk more about that, you can listen to last week's lesson uh, uh, online. But in the course of that conversation following dinner, Jesus begins to announce to them some troubling things. Two things happen in chapter 13. Number one, he says, one of you will betray me. And here are these closest 12 men to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he tells them one of them is going to betray them and they can't figure out who it is. And so the Lord reveals who that one would be. That's troubling enough. But then Peter, in trying to... to, to uh, reaffirm his own commitment to the Lord Jesus. He makes a bold statement saying, Lord, I want, I want to follow you everywhere you go. I, I'll lay down my life for you. And then Jesus concludes the chapter by saying, 1338, Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. So right on the heels of this shocking revelation, one of us is going to totally betray the Lord. Now, one of the strongest characters amongst them, Jesus says, before the night is out, you're going to even deny knowing me three times. Now, if Peter is in this kind of condition, one of them is betraying the Lord, their hearts are in upheaval. And that's where this chapter begins. John chapter 14, starting in verse 1. Let not your heart... Be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Most assuredly, I say to you, He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. A little while longer and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. At that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and will make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have heard me say to you, I'm going away and coming back to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said I'm going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me but that the world may know that I love the Father and as the Father gave me commandment so I do. Arise. Let us go from here. And may God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us these these chapters where we can come aside with the Lord Jesus into the private conversations that he had with his disciples, knowing that as he was about to depart from them and that they would be troubled by this, that, that he needed some means to encourage them, to comfort them in the midst of their confusion and, 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 and doubts and, and lack of understanding that, that they could hold on to that would give them hope and help and courage for the days that would lie ahead. So, Father, as we thank you for providing us not only insight into their conversation, but, Father, we would ask you to guide us that we may lay hold of the things that we ourselves need as our hearts are troubled today, and that we may find the help, the courage, the hope that we need for facing the trials that are in our lives as well. We would just ask that, All the things that are shared today would truly be in accordance with your word and that you would exalt the Lord Jesus, who indeed is worthy, that all things would be for his honor and glory. For we ask it in his name. Amen. 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 I'm thankful that in God's knowing of everything, he knows our need for this kind of help. You know, the psalmist wrote it like this in Psalm 103. He said, as a father pities his children... So the Lord pities those who fear Him, for He knows our frame, and He remembers that we are dust. He knows our frame. He knows when we're struggling, and He also knows how to help us. And that's why we want to take the time to look into this passage today, so that as the Lord, remembering that we are dust, that we have need of this, we can find great comfort and courage I, i'm calling this You know, i don't always title my messages but as i was thinking about it I, I was reminded of the verses in hebrews six and the title that i gave it was hope an anchor for the troubled soul and here's what the writer of hebrews said to the struggling jewish followers of christ in the days that followed these as they were in danger of the trials and struggles that were going going on in their lives, in danger of turning back from Christ to go back to their former ways in Judaism, the writer would remind them what they had come to. Not just remembering what they had left, but he would remind them that when God wanted to make a promise to Abraham, who would have to wait a long time for the fulfillment of that promise, knowing the need that Abraham would have, it says that God... Not only, he made a promise. He didn't just announce to Abraham what he would do. He made a promise and even took an oath uh, uh, confirming his desire and plan to bless Abraham. And uh, referring to that promise, that oath that God took, he says this. This is Hebrews six seventeen through 19. He says, Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel that means the unchanging nature of his own mind and will, he confirmed it by an oath so that by two immutable or unchanging things in which it is impossible for God to lie, his character alone should have been enough. But no, on top of his character that he cannot lie, he also took this oath so that by these two things, it says we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope that is set before us. And this hope we have as an anchor of the soul that is both sure and steadfast. And that's what we need, right? In the midst of the ocean, where the waves get so rough that the ship is in danger of being lost at sea, not being able to find their way to where they desire to go, they drop an anchor so it can hold them in place. And the Bible says that we have come to God himself as a refuge where we can find strong consolation and hope for our troubled souls. And that's what Jesus was seeking to give his disciples here in John 14. He knew that they were struggling. So let's go back. And I've kind of, I've tracked a few things through this chapter. And... um, I'd like I I'd like to separate them as we go through. Uh, they don't neatly fall 1, 2, 3, 1, 2, 3, 1, 2, 3, like I would like to see them. But basically, I've I've taken note of a few things, and as you notice them, you can either mark them down and uh, uh refer back to them. But first of all, I would just say Christ gives us his counsel. What is his his overarching advice? or counsel to his disciples as they're entering into this troubled situation? Basically, he gives them a command. Sometimes commands don't seem like counsel or comfort, right? But he has two very specific commands for them. One, to believe in him and to keep his word to hold on to it and to obey it, right? So to believe in him and to keep his word are the two commands overarching through the whole thing. But then he's going to highlight why they should be able and willing to do that. But along the way, he gives several promises. I did my best to alliterate them all in Ps. Some of them are kind of lame, but I finally found one. So uh, uh, if you'll endure with me, maybe Mike can help me sort them out later. He seems to have a gift at that, but... Uh, We're going to see several promises. And and the thing that that helped me to find them, and I'll I'll encourage you with this, eight times in this chapter, he uses the words, I will. He's promising to do something. Eight times over in this chapter. You think he's serious about them trusting him? He is. And so he's flat out stating, here's what I intend to do in help to you in your troubled situation, but I gotta say this: some of the promises are conditional, and so in order to experience those promises, we got to make sure that we are living in accordance with those conditions. But some of them are not conditional, and and we will uh, walk through those together. But I enjoyed finding them and then trying to figure out how this fit together. And like I said, some of the I wills were all loop, uh, grouped in one section, and there was another section where I thought, well, here's a command, and here's a what he's going to do, but the I will is not there. So I don't want to be overstressing the the, the neatness and tidiness of it, but I tell you, there's a lot here to hold on to. So let's go ahead and come back and look, right? Starting in verse 1, he tells them flat out, don't let your heart be troubled. Now, that alone was troubling, right? Because sometimes when I'm experiencing troubles, they seem so much beyond my control right so the thing that is causing my trouble is beyond my control but what jesus says is there's something that is in my control and that's a choice that he's expecting me to make in my own heart do not let your heart be troubled now that kind of turns things on its head because i feel justified in my worrying the thing that's trouble and what think about the what is it that troubles you right uh, we already talked about what troubled the disciples. Jesus said, I'm going away and you're not going to be able to see me anymore. And, and this troubled them, right? You're going to fail me tonight. It troubled them. But what's troubling our hearts today? Could it be a departure of a loved one? Could it be changing circumstances? Whether it be our health, job loss, financial setbacks, relational troubles or breakdowns, fear of the future, the betrayal of a friend? sickness, deadlines, decisions that we have to make, these things bring us anxiety. And the Lord doesn't say that those things are not troubling, but he does say in response to them, there's something we can choose to do. And that's what I found hard, even preparation for this message. I'm thinking even the stress and anxiety of being up here today was stressful. And I'm thinking, okay, Dave, practice what you're preaching now, You don't feel too peaceful right now. Uh, What is it that you've been studying this week that's somehow going to be helpful to yourself in being able to come talk about this today? Do these things really make a difference? Okay, let's take a look in the mirror. But Jesus said, okay, my counsel, my command to you is do not let your heart be troubled. But then he gives us the antidote. You believe in God, believe also in me. Now, this is an interesting phrase. Those of you who may dabble in the original languages, the Greek, like Spanish, you can kind of tell what verb tenses things are in by the endings of the words. We don't really do that so clearly in English. I feel sorry for all you English as a second language people because everything's irregular in English. Um, We native speakers just kind of roll it off our tongues without thinking about it. But in the gr- original language, right, the, the ending of the, the verb in this sentence twice can either be a statement of fact, you believe in God, or it could be a command, believe in God. And the same is true of the second half of the sentence, believe also in me. He could be saying, hey, you believe in God, you also believe in me. Or he could be commanding them, believe in God. And while you're believing in God, believe also in me. Or he could be saying a statement of fact about one and a command of the other. And so we have four different scenarios that the phrasing actually could have been translated. And we have to decide, well, what is he saying? And it's, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, hopefully we can say all four are true of us. That we've already come to the place where we've realized I do believe in the God revealed to me in the Bible. And he has revealed that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior, and I am believing in him. And so the statement of fact, you're believing in them, you're in the right starting place. But I'm inclined to think that with the trouble that they just heard of, that Jesus was bringing them back, not just to remind them that they've already believed, but was commanding them again. To take a look into their heart and choose to believe both in God and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the word in John for believe, it's very interesting. He never talks about faith as a noun in the Gospel of John. He uses the verb tense of the word, the verb form of the word, always, which is something we do. Not some little thing we file on the shelf. That's my faith. and It's over there. No, it's something that's active in my heart to be trusting, putting my confidence in, being persuaded of the absolute truth of what it is that the scripture is talking about believing in. And so with this turmoil of heart, as Jesus is about to go to the cross, knowing that he's leaving them, revealing it to them and seeing the look on their faces, he says, listen, my, my friends, believe in God. Yes, his ways are higher than ours. We cannot begin to understand all that God is doing beyond our comprehension, but we can trust and have confidence in God. And we have we can have absolute confidence in Jesus too. Why, so this is his basic command for them. And so what is it he is he asking them to believe about God and about himself that should give them some sort of anchor for their troubled souls? Well, he tells them right off. He says, number one, It's the promise of a home in heaven. Notice verse 2. In my Father's house are many mansions, dwelling places, places to abide. Many places in my Father's house. And if it were not so, I would have told you. But because it is so, I'm reminding you that it is true. There are many places to dwell in my Father's house. And so he says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there, you may be also. He said, I'm leaving you now, but where I'm going, it's for a good purpose because the place where my father is is a place where there's lots of room for you to come. But I've got to go first to prepare the place and the way, and then I will come get you and take you so that you can be with me there. And so we've come upon his first promise. Did you see it there in verse 3? If I go, I will come again. Did he go? He did. Will he then come again? Yes, he will. And so he says, believe in God. Believe in me. I'm going, but not just going away. I'm not just leaving you. No, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I like that word. Can you remember a place where the word prepare is used several times over in a very troubling season in anyone's life in the Bible? I'm thinking of the prophet Jonah. You remember when God sent him to go speak to a people? To go warn them of the judgment of God. And he did not want to go. And so he decided to run the other way. And when he realized he could not run away from God. And he found himself in the ship. Where the sea was just totally uh, raging. And they thought. The seamen thought that they were going to all drown. And Jonah finally said. The only way for you to be safe is to throw me out overboard. And it says. As they threw him overboard. The Lord had prepared a great fish. To come swallow Jonah. He prepared the fish for Jonah. And that took a long time for that fish to grow to the size where it could swallow Jonah whole and keep him safe inside of him. By the same token, later in Jonah chapter 4, it says when Jonah was still struggling, his heart was out of tune with God's and he was up on this up on the hillside waiting to see whether God would just tear apart this nation down in the city. It says that God prepared a plant, a gourd to grow up to provide shade over his head. He prepared the worm that would eat it up and cause it to shrivel. And again, he would be subjected to the heat of the sun. And be struggling again. And God also prepared that hot wind that blew upon him, all so that they would bring Jonah to the place where God wanted him. God was working. He was preparing the circumstances and the details of it to do the work that he was trying to do in Jonah's life. And, you know, that's the same God that we see all the way back in the the Garden of Eden from the very beginning, right? Here there was no man in the garden but God was preparing the place. He was making a place where where there was grass and trees and food, where there would be a sky for the birds to fly and and and, and for the rain to gather in the clouds and 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 water the earth and and for the stars to be in place to provide guidance to them as he would go and discover and, and have dominion over this world that God made and and all those things as God was creating those first six days before he got to Adam, he was preparing the place to take care of him, a place where God could commune with him. And that's what God's doing in our lives. He's preparing a place in heaven. But but even now, while we're waiting, we, we realize he's the same God, the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he's preparing the details of everything that's going on in our lives to move us towards where he wants us to be. And that's what Jesus is calling his disciples back to. You, you believe in God. You know this about him. Well, know this about me. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I will come again so that I can receive you to myself, so that where I am, you may be also and he says, where I go, you know, I told you I'm going to my father, right? Now, he had told him in the previous chapter, I'm going away. You're not going to see me. And, and so Thomas is still back there in chapter 13. <laughs> uh, he's like, Lord, uh, we don't know where you're going, right? You told us you're going away. We aren't going to be able to find you. We're not going to see you. So we don't know where you're going. So you say we know the way, but if we don't know where you're going, we don't know the way either. So help us. But I love Jesus' response. I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. The life that you fear will come upon you when I depart? Don't worry, I am the life. You don't exactly know how you're going to get to where I'm trying to take you? That's okay, I am the way. You hold on to me. Believe in me, he said. I am the truth. You can count on my words. They are absolutely true. interesting that we see in the Lord Jesus Christ as He revealed Himself as the way people stopped following following Him. He's trying to teach His disciples the truth. They're having trouble believing Him. He is the life and they were about to turn Him over to die. But it didn't change the reality. And we can still bank on those same realities today. Now, Now, if you're here today and maybe you like, I think of the Pilgrim's Progress Through reading the scriptures, the the man graceless was desiring to be able to to be at that place that God was preparing for those who were his. So that he could be with the Lord forever in these dwelling places in the Father's house. But he knew he had a problem. This burden of sin on his back, the judgment, the guilt for his own sin, he knew disqualified him from being in that place. and, And he was looking for a way to be delivered. But there was only one place. The evangelist sent him to the cross of Jesus Christ where he could meet the person who paid the price, who made the way for him to be saved. And he put his trust in Jesus Christ. But you know, there was another man along the way. He heard about how this pilgrim was making this journey to find the place of deliverance for his sins so that he could go to the celestial city in heaven and be with god forever and so he heard about it and he ran after him and upon hearing more about the place that god was preparing he said oh i want to go yes let me join you and so hurry up let's go let's go and he wanted to hurry his way to that heavenly city but there was something important missing from this man he had no burden He didn't realize it's not just about some nice thing that I want that I'm just going to go to the magic genie in the sky and he's going to give me. But there is a barrier, a problem that requires to be dealt with. And, and, And when we maybe that's you today, maybe you've heard about the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you know that you're a sinner also and that your sin has separated you from God, just like the Bible says. And you desire to be in that place someday. You, too, must believe in Jesus. You must come to him to allow him to pardon your sin because he paid for it there on the cross. That's what he was about to do. He was, he was trying to prepare his disciples. That's why I must leave you because I alone can pay the penalty for your sin. And he had to go to that cross to accomplish it. But because he did, he paved the way. And that's why he said, I am the way. Have you ever come to him? And so, Lord, I know that you are the only way that I can have my sin forgiven and I desire to put my trust in you, to believe that you can give me that forgiveness and that everlasting life and I'm committing my very soul and my destiny into your hands, not my own. When you do that, the Bible says you, like those disciples, can know for sure that you indeed have a home in heaven promised by the Lord Jesus Christ whom he has gone to prepare a home for you. And um that's huge, huge. He probably could have stopped the chapter right there. said, "Listen, no matter what's happening in this life, hey, this life is temporary. Just ask our senior saints amongst us, every year, my life seems to go faster and faster. It's picking up speed every year. And um, I just can't believe how fast time is going, but it's temporary. And it's going to come to an end, and we, but we can be prepared for eternity if we come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he would say, believe in God and believe also in me. That's his command, and inherent with it was the promise. Well, he goes on from there. So now Jesus says, if you'd known me, you would have known my Father also. Um, No one comes to the Father except through me. And he's like, if you'd have known me, you'd have known the Father also. This shouldn't be a problem for you. But now Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and it'll be enough for us. But because he asked the question, we learned something else. Why can we believe in Jesus so confidently like we are commanded to believe in God? It's because of what he tells us now. Verse 9, he says, have I been with you so long, and yet you don't know me yet, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. Verse 10, don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? We are so intimately united as to be in one another. The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. The Father was working in Jesus to speak the words that jesus was speaking to do the works that jesus was doing and so he said if you have been watching me if you have known me then in truth you know the father because we have the same heart we have the same will and desire we're working constantly together so that although you cannot see the father you know him because you know me we are one and lo and behold not only is he just clarifying a truth there for Philip, but he makes another incredible statement. Verse 11, first of all, believe me that I am in the father and the father in me. If that's too hard for you, he says, or else believe me for the work, for the sake of the works themselves. You've witnessed the raising of the dead. You've witnessed the healing of incurable diseases. You see that this is the hand of God. If you have trouble believing these things, Because you can't wrap your mind around the truth, realize what you've seen and believe because of those works. But verse 12, most assuredly, Jesus never needs to say most assuredly. He can just say what what he's trying to say. But he says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my father. Now, he didn't exactly define for us in what way those works would be greater, and I've I've read all kinds of differing ideas. Certainly, no one can do a work greater than dying for the sin of the world. But raising someone from the dead physically is still temporary. But they were going to have the privilege of reaching people who were dead spiritually and watching thousands be born again into an eternal relationship with God. Thousands. Much greater works than Jesus did in his brief time on this earth. They, He said, if you believe in me, the, wor- the way my father works in me, he will work in you. And greater works, you will see, because I go to my father. And he's going to explain why he must go to the father for that to happen. But then he makes two I will statements in verses 13 and 14. And and this is why I could not just, it would have been so easy to skip that statement we just made about the greater works. But they're connected with this. And whatever you ask in my name that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Do you see the two I wills? I will do it. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do. If you ask anything in my... So, obviously, this is one of the conditional ones. He says, anything that you ask, wanting to be popular, anything you ask for your own selfish reasons, no, none of that. Anything you ask in my name. There are certain things that he has commanded for us to do, to work towards. He's given us his authority to do those things. And as we move to obey him, we're going in his authority. So one way that we are acting in his name is by acting under his authority. Um, I think I've heard someone mention before, like the police officer who comes to the door, and the criminal starts running away, and they say, stop in the name of the law, right? They're acting under the authority or the name of the law of the the law of the land that has sent them there. And in essence, when Jesus asks us to go ask the Father for various things and we respond to go do that, we are asking in his name. But we're also asking things that are in accordance with his desires and will, right? Um, if I'm asking for a Lamborghini for Christmas, and... Um, The Lord knows that that's not in accordance with what he wants my life to take shape with. I'm not asking in accordance with his name, in his name, right? His desire, his will, his character. Uh, And so he does say this, but listen, if you are in a, a relationship with the Lord such that, You are looking to him to accomplish his will in your life, doing those greater works that he's promised to do. And as you see the obstacles before you, as you see the struggles towards that end, and as you're appealing to him for his help, and we come in his name, those things he will answer, he says. But this is a great promise. Think of the disciples now. The whole religious world was coming against Jesus, and they were associated with him. He's now said, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to go away. You're not going to have me here anymore. And they're thinking, what are we going to do? He says, I'm not going to leave you helpless here. As you appeal to my Father, I will do the things that you are asking in my name. So that, says the Father may be glorified in the Son. The greatness of the Lord is seen in Him coming through on these requests and honoring his word and his promises to do those things that he sets out to do in us as well as through us. And so we have... Uh, he, Why did he say it twice? I'd ask myself that question. But he says, as you believe in me, he will lead us in these works and as whatever we're asking, along with that, uh, whatever we ask in our... In Jesus' name, he will do so that the Son may be glorified, the Father may be glorified in the Son. How's he going to do all that? Well, he brings us into the next section, 15 through uh, 18. He says, if you love me, keep my commands. Couldn't help but wonder if he was talking about the two commands in this chapter. Believe me, believe in the Father. If you love me, keep these commands. But he had other commands also. We need to keep them. Keep all of them. And I will, there it is again, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. So we have, Jesus promises them a place in heaven. He reminds them of his position with the Heavenly Father. He promises to hear their prayers and answer them. Now he says, you will have a present helper, not just help in general, but a helper that I will send. I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper, another meaning another of the same kind as Jesus, but a helper because he will no longer be with them, but the helper will come so that he may abide with you forever. He's talking about the Holy Spirit here. And, uh, he's, he's, he's explained, this, this ministry of the Holy Spirit is explained several places here in these next couple chapters. Now, we've been studying a number of these on Wednesday night, so I don't intend to go through them all again. But, the Holy Spirit, the word for helper here is a very interesting word. The word comes from a p- compound word meaning, well, paraclete, para, alongside like parallel lines. And, cle- the cleat part from, comes from the verb to call, kaleo, called alongside to help. Right. So when you think of uh, the spirit's role in our lives, we are to allow him to come alongside to be our help, to be our comfort, um, to be our counselor, to be our teacher. Right. It's why the the, Jesus is sending him. It's why he's come. And um, he tells him flat out uh, in verse 26, this helper whom this Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance the things that I've said to you. Isn't that great? You know, can you imagine how many things that Jesus said in this conversation that were slipping out of their minds already, right? But he says the Spirit is going to remind you of these things and bring them back to your memory so that you can believe them and hold on to them. Uh, He will uh, tell you things to come, chapter 16, verse 13 says, right? He will tell you things to come, He will glorify me and take of what is mine and declare it to you. So the ministry of the Holy Spirit was going to be very overwhelming in their lives to strengthen them, teach them, reveal to them the future, bring back to memory the things the Lord had said. And you know what? It's the same helper that he has sent to you and to me. The scriptures say that when Jesus ascended and he sent the Holy Spirit, the Spirit now indwells all who believe in Jesus Christ as Savior. And we don't have to wait for this. He's already here. And so we can trust in this helper that God has given. He's present in our lives. I love the psalmist who says, God is a refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And that's what he was going to be for the disciples, and that's what he is for you and for me. But then he says this, moving along to verse 21. He who keeps my command, who, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me, and he who loves me, will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. He says, if you do these things, if you believe me, you're obeying my words, you're demonstrating your love and commitment to me, and I will manifest myself to you. I will reveal myself to you personally. And then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, he asks a very good question. How is it? You've said that you're going out of the world. You already told the people who were not the disciples that they're not going to see you anymore. You've told us you're going away. We're not going to see you at least for a while. But now you're saying you're going to reveal yourself to us. How are you going to reveal yourself to us and not to them? And he says, verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. There's the conditional part again, right? And my father will love him and we will, not just I will, but we will come to him and make our home with him. Listen, he's going back to his promise from very salvation itself, right? If someone will not believe the truth that they cannot get to heaven on their own because of their own sin, they have not believed God's word. They have not loved his word. They have not kept his word. They don't fit the qualification for these promises of God to reveal himself to them personally like this. But for those who do, he says, this is true of you then. You love me. You're keeping my word. He says, we will come to him and make our home with him. There's a personal, and this is the one I didn't like, a personal habitation. He'll be at home with us. It's too wordy, I think. But the idea is he'll be at home with us. Very personally, he will... Manifest. He would reveal more of himself to us. It's very interesting. As you talk to someone who does not know the Lord, they can read the Bible, but they don't get the intimacies of the person of the Lord as they read it. We see wonders there. But, wow, look what he did for them. Look what he's done for me. And it, it produces an immense appreciation and love for Christ that is a comfort in our struggles. And he says, I will reveal myself to you as you do these things. We will be at home in your heart. But the world doesn't know that. They see it in you and I. The Bible says you are the light of the world. If you know Christ as your Savior and people are looking on and and they see your responses to the troubles that are going on in your life. And sometimes you may still feel the stress and yet there's something deep down that they still see that you've forgotten about. I know it was true in my life. I was very discouraged about A particular area of my life I had been trying to make progress in, and I felt like I was failing. I remember being in my college class, and a lady came up to me afterwards who had heard that I was a Christian. She said, you're one of those born-again Christians, aren't you? Yes. Um, And before I could try to figure out how do I respond to ask her why she's asking, she said, you know, you just have this peace about you. And I thought, peace? I was feeling kind of discouraged and and peace. Hmm. Okay. And so I, I, as I listened to her and as I went home that night, I thought, how does she see peace? And I realized, Dave, have you been a Christian so long that you've forgotten? There are people in this world. They don't even know why they're here. What's the purpose in this life? If all we got is trouble day by day and then you die and then your loved ones disappear and, and you don't even know what's out there after death. Well, these are some heavy burdens to be bearing in your heart every single day, all of your life. And yes, I was looking at this area of my life where I knew God was dealing with something and I knew I had been failing it to doing it. And, 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 and I was so fixated on this, which I should be. We shouldn't just brush aside sin in our lives and, 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 and those things. But as I was looking on this, I forgot all the big questions of life that the Lord had already delivered me from. We have eternal life. We have forgiveness of sin. We have a promise of the helper in every situation of our lives. As we call out to him, he promises to hear our prayers over and over. He says, don't let your heart be troubled. I got this. It's already settled. And that's what she saw in my life. But we forget. We forget. And the Lord is calling us back just as he was his disciples and says, don't forget. There's a hope that is meant to be an anchor for your soul, the hope of the Word of God in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And we can believe in Him through every step of the way until He comes to take us to be with Himself. And that's how He manifests Himself to us, which He cannot do to the world. And so, He says again, I'm sending the Helper, the Holy Spirit, who will bring these things back to your mind. And I needed to go back and... (laughs) Bring them back to my mind. <laughs> Here's the eight times he says, I will in this chapter. I needed to remind myself. Do you need to remind yourself this week? I encourage you. Let us ask the Holy Spirit to remind us. And then he goes on to the last one in verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not like the world gives peace. How does the world get peace? Empty promises. Peace, peace, but there is no peace. Satan promised a lot of things to Adam and Eve in the garden with that one little bite. Oh, yeah. Just what you've always wanted. To not have. But he doesn't tell you those things. My peace I give to you. He follows through on it. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You've heard me say I'm going away and coming back to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said I'm going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. I'd ask myself this question. Why would Jesus expect peace from telling them again he's going away? Verse 29 Now I've told you before it comes so that when it does come to pass, you may believe. This is not taking him by surprise. So when you see I'm going away, believe it. If I go, I will come again. Don't let it take you by surprise. Some of our trials take us by surprise. But the Lord says, realize I know the future. I know it all. I am working. I have a plan. Believe. And then, after all this talking, verse 30, I will no longer talk much with you. For the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. Satan had already put it in the heart of Judas. He'd already left, and he was going to be bringing them to the soldiers to arrest the Lord Jesus. So I'm not going to talk with you much longer. So, what's he going to do if he's not going to talk? Verse 31. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment. So I do. Remember what Jesus told us. If you love me, keep my commands. So the father may know that I love the father. I'm going to keep his command. His command was go to the cross, pay the penalty for sin, so that all these people could be redeemed and have that place in heaven where there are many dwelling places. That's how much he loved the father how much he loves you and he loves me and whatever is going on in our lives he wants to comfort us to say believe in me if you're struggling with that today if you'd like someone to pray with you be glad to meet with you whether you're a Christian who's just discouraged and needs to be reminded of a few of these things or whether you're, you're someone who's never trusted in Christ and you say you know what I realize I need him I want to believe in Jesus today come find us be glad to talk to you after the meeting let's pray Father I don't like troubles. But Jesus said, in this world, you'll have tribulations. But that we could take courage because he has overcome the world. And he desires to reveal himself to us in a greater way than we've ever known. We thank you for these precious promises, Lord, that that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And that we can come to him so that we can come to you, Father. And that you are willing to receive all who will come in his name. To receive the grace that we can find nowhere else in this world. Lord, we want to say thank you for the peace that Christ has left us. Like the world cannot give. The the world can provide monetary things that we can hold in our hands. But the peace in our hearts is still elusive without him. But he's promised it to us. My peace I leave with you. Lord, would you just bring back to our minds the memory of these promises this week so that as we look square in the eye of our trials and troubles, which we cannot control, that we would at least control our own hearts to come back again, to believe in you, to believe in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and to wait for the fulfillment of those promises. For we know he went away, and we still await his return, that we may be forever with him. We thank you in Jesus' name.